nose to the ground, you know, being able to push through. Um, when, you, when you hear the word resilience, you think of a fighter and someone who's able to, to weather the storm and, and keep pushing through. That's Matt Hansen, professional triathlete, coach, and an ex-professor in exercise science. I'm Ed Gibbons, co-founder and product lead of Rewire. And I'm Sun Sachs, co-founder and CEO of Rewire, and this is the Rewire Fitness Podcast. Welcome. On this podcast, we discussed with Matt his journey from being a professor in exercise science to now being a professional triathlete competing at the highest level. We discussed the lessons he's learned along the way, both as an athlete and a coach, including how Matt is able to prioritize both cognitive and physical recovery whilst training. So let's get started. So we're joined today by Matt Hansen, professional triathlete, elite triathlete coach, and an ex-professor in exercise science. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing well. Thanks for having me again. Excellent. So starting at the beginning, can you just sort of talk us through your early background and your journey towards becoming an elite athlete? Yeah, this uh, this definitely isn't the life that I, I planned on having. Um, you know, I, I was a wrestler <laughs> from the time I can remember growing up. I think I started wrestling when I was five, and that was always my my love. My dad wrestled. I, I like to be like my dad. So uh, <laughs> I was always, you know, that was my focus athletically anyways. And and um, that's actually how I got to the sport of triathlon indirectly. When I was 16, I was challenged by one of my wrestling coaches slash mentors, and he challenged me to make a list of 50 goals uh, for the next 10 years. So a 10 year timeline for 50 goals. And, you know, as a 16 year old, that's a, you know, a tall order to, to be that long sighted. And, you know, I was running out of things to do and I had seen uh, the Hawaii Ironman once on TV. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think that was number like 48 on my list was just to complete an Ironman triathlon. I knew nobody who had done it, knew nothing about the sport, but I just put it on the list. And, um, yeah, I, I went to college to wrestle and uh, ended up dislocating my hip freshman year on the mat. And that was kind of the end of the wrestling career. Um, And so I just kind of started running a little bit more um, and then really just focused on the academic side of things. And uh, I think on my 25th birthday, that list of goals, I kept that in my wallet for 10 years. And and, uh, on my 25th birthday, I looked you know, looked at it and, uh, you know, saw that that was one that I could still go after. And so I signed up for Ironman Coeur d'Alene and, um, you know, bought a cheap used bike off of eBay. I was a, a grad student at the time. And so ate nothing but ramen for, for a month. So I could <laughs> buy a $500 bike off of eBay and, uh, tried to learn how to swim, uh, still trying to learn that part, but uh, yeah, you really just planned on being a one and done, just doing one Ironman and, and calling it good and, uh, ended up qualifying for the world championships in Kona at, uh, Coeur d'Alene. Um, and, uh, so I'm like, okay, I should probably go to that. And, and that's really <laughs> where I, I fell in love with the sport. And, um, yeah, I mean, at, at the time this was 2011, um, I was, working on my doctorate at the time had finished up my master's and was teaching and working as an athletic trainer uh, at university university and so it, it was training was was very limited uh as an athletic trainer i was working men's women's soccer 
wrestling, baseball, and softball. And uh, so I was traveling a lot. And so doing a lot of treadmill runs in the hotels. And, um, you know, the nice thing about working at the university is I could swim at, at the lunch hour. Uh, the pool was open for an hour a day and it was noon to one. And my office was literally two minute walk from the pool. And so awesome. uh, I would get in the water at noon and have to be out at, at uh, 1255 so I could teach a one o'clock class. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it worked out and uh, I was just kind of able to slowly progress and uh, ended up being in a position where I could now uh, chase this dream instead of uh, you know, live the professor life, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a great journey and and one that's taken many, you know, turns and you've ended yeah. up here. So it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I when I made the leap, um, I had just been granted tenure um, in 2015. Um, so all I had to do was put in six months more and I would have been a full tenure professor and ended up winning North American championships that year and, and was meeting with a student and um, was talking to them about a summer internship. And I'm like, you know, we want to set up this internship and this internship so you can really be in a place where you can chase after what you want in life not you know what you have to do in life and i kind of sat back after that and like i'm being a hypocrite a little bit i mean i love teaching (laughs) uh didn't love the whole grading part of things as much but uh or the university politics but i definitely love teaching and and uh but i really love triathlon and i wanted to make sure that uh i could look back and know rather than look back and wonder what if and so decided to to chase this dream instead awesome and i love that part about having the your sort of life goals noted in your wallet have you have you still got that there today uh it's i stopped carrying a wallet actually i just have a little clip in the front of my pocket now but uh, (laughs) i definitely have the goals written down and uh you know a lot of them uh cater around the big island um we're in kona but uh yeah, definitely have a, a decent list of professional goals um, as an athlete, professional goals as a coach, uh, and then you know, just goals outside of sport as well. Awesome. So plenty plenty left to still tick off. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> and uh, along that journey, that, what are the sort of moments you're most proud of, your, your sort of greatest achievements along that journey? Uh, I think one of the the defining races that I had was Ironman Texas in 2015. Um, that Ironman Texas has been a good place for me. I, I, that's pretty much made my career. I earned my pro card there. And then, uh, that was my first major win, uh, the North American championships. And in 2015, I was, I was working full time. And so didn't have the ideal training block leading into it. Um, was definitely not in the discussion for a top 10 finish and was able to uh, come away with the win. So, you know, that was kind of a big day and, and really changed my life uh, in terms of where I'm going. Uh, you know, I, at, but the day before that, I was uh, planning on being a, a tenured professor for the rest of my life. And the day after, <laughs> then I, I, you know, wondering if I'll ever be in the classroom again, um, which which was kind of a unique situation. Um, you know, when I when I set the Ironman fastest brand race there in 2018, uh, that was a pretty special moment. Just how the race shook out. I ended up uh, running with the guy in my back pocket for about 25 and a half miles and finally got the separation in the last little bit, um, which which was a fun, very mentally draining day, um, very physically <laughs> draining day, but but a lot of fun. And then uh, Challenge Daytona most recently, um, where I got off the bike, you know, 
in uh, like 22nd and ran up to second for uh, the biggest uh, financially rewarding day I've ever had in the sport as well. So I've had a few good days, a lot of bad days, but but uh, those, those bad days make you uh, remember the good days uh, and not take them for granted for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hand it over to some, but I'm looking forward to to talking more through those moments throughout the throughout the podcast. Perfect. Nice. Yeah, you, you talk about a lot of challenging moments um, and these breakthrough moments. You know, we always like to ask our athletes, you know, what um, what percentage or or how big of a component is mindset or the mind to your performance? And can you give some examples of how you've really leveraged that mental strength to get, you know, get the results you wanted? Yeah, it's Ironman's a long day um, and, you know, half Ironman's a long day. If, if you're not in the right mindset, as soon as things get tough, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to push through them. Uh, darn near impossible to push through it. If, if you don't have your, your emotional battery fully charged going into the race. And I've, I've had a number of races where, um, that, that was depleted going in and, um, it, it those races don't, don't usually turn out too well. And so it, it's been a learning experience and, and how to, manage everything, you know, obviously from a racing standpoint, there's a huge amount of physical recovery that, that it takes. Um, but it's, it, we don't think about the emotional recovery, uh, or, or, uh, the amount of time it takes the, the head to recover the mindset to recover, just to be willing to push yourself into that dark place again. And, you know, I talked about 2017 and just, you know, that, I do. I remember very few moments of that race because it was pure, like focused, listening to the body, like everything had to be a hundred percent right, or I was going to crack. And, you know, I was on the limit the entire time and I crossed the finish line and it like, all I could think about doing was, um, trying to go and race again to replace that moment that I got when I crossed the finish line. It was like that <laughs> pure euphoria. Yeah. <laughs> But I was nowhere near ready mentally. Uh, I did not respect the amount, the toll that that took on me. And the next six months were were a struggle. I, I, you know, in training, I couldn't go to the place that I needed to go to in training, you know, to have proper sessions. And, uh, you know, so that should have been a red flag that I wasn't ready to race yet. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I just tried to push through and push through and, and, you know, it'll come, it'll come, but I never really gave the mind a chance to recover and, you know, went into Kona that year and just had a terrible day. Uh, and, you know, I definitely think that that's a big part of it is just, I wasn't being respectful to the, the mental toll, you know, it's much easier to quantify the physical toll, like the muscle damage and things like that. You know, there's, you know, when you get back into, you know, proper training, you know, you can see those things. You can't see the mindset side of it and, or you, you know, it's harder to. And, uh, so that's been a, a learning journey for sure. Wow. Yeah. You must've gone so deep, <laughs> create a major deficit. And, you know, we, um, we see that a lot, you know, uh, for most athletes, that's a blind spot, you know, the, the impact of cognitive fatigue, where you're at currently, you know, and how that impacts your emotional state. Um, that's why we spent a lot of time, a lot of focus on that in creating some tools to measure it so that you can go into the day and see where you're at emotionally, see where you're at cognitively, 
and know if you have sort of a, a gap or a deficit that you're going to have to deal with. And then what can you use, you know, within our system and, and other protocols to get through it? Um, kind of on a related topic, I think you also had a challenging year in 2019 with an injury. Uh, and I'm sure that that yeah. also was a, a mix of mental and physical challenges. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, that was a tough year for sure. Um, coming out of the summer, I, I was racing really well, feeling really well, um, having the best training numbers I had ever had. I was actually swimming well for the first time in my career. And uh, you know, things were all just in a great, you know, great progression. And I was leading into uh, Kona again, um, prepping for the world championships. And I, I got really to my last big, big training weekend and, um, and did a, a 22 mile run, felt great, nailed the set, woke up the next morning and, uh, just couldn't walk and wow. ended up, uh, with a sacral stress fracture, which is zero fun. Um, <laughs> and it, it was a six month recovery process and, you know, about four months of no running and then two months of limited weight running and, and just trying to learn to trust, trust the body, trust that things were going to come back and trust the process again. And, um, and a lot of going back and, and looking at my entire approach and what was I doing wrong? What was I fighting through and, and those types of things. And, um, so, you know, you would think that it would be four months of, of, you know, very low toll, but it was four months of di completely dissecting what I was doing before and, and rebuilding the process from the ground up. And, and, um, you know, I've, I've got a great team behind me and they helped me get along, uh, and, and really come back and, and come back strong. And then I won my first race back in, uh, March of 2020, wow. uh, that was in Mexico. I flew down there. Uh, had a great day, got the win, but that from the time that I left the U S to the time that I came back, the world had shut down. Uh, and I, it was, you know, I finished the race and didn't know if I was going to be able to get back, uh, into the U S afterwards, just because of everything with the virus. And so then, you know, I get back and build back up and I'm in this great place again, and then racing is taken away from me. And, uh, you know, the coaching business, obviously people were losing their jobs, uh, triathlon races weren't happening. So, you know, it's the easy thing to do is cost save. And, and, uh, you know, so that was taking a huge hit and it, it was another kind of mental blow as well as physical blow, you know, not just for me, obviously everybody was, was dealing with it, but, um, yeah, you know, so the, the mental blows will always, always keep coming. It's just finding ways to, uh, be resilient and, and, uh, build back up after they happen. Wow. Impressive. Serious, serious comeback stories here. Multiple ones. <laughs> um, it sounds like you also take kind of an analytical approach or, you know, maybe this is where the professor background comes back into play in terms of just analyzing how you could do better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like you have to be a student of, of the sport and, you know, part of that is, is studying your competition, but also it's, you know, studying your approach and, you know, I learned just as much from the races that go really bad as the ones that do go really well. It's trying to break it down, figure out what I can do better or what went really well. Um, and I mentioned my team behind me. Um, that's, you know, I couldn't do what I'm doing without, uh, 
them to bounce ideas off of and, and, uh, you know, just help make tweaks and adjustments along the way. Um, you know, uh, yeah. And, you know, on, on that note, like, you know, obviously with what you do, um, you know, I, I think that there's been so many major advancements and accepted major advancements in the way we train. Um, and I think the two low hanging fruits are the best and proper ways to train the brain and how to maximize sleep. And so, you know, that's where I think the next major advancements are going to be coming, uh, in, in sport are going to be tied to those two things directly. Yeah, we, we couldn't agree more there. I mean, sleep, certainly people, uh, pay attention to now more than ever, but what are the factors that negatively impact their sleep and are they paying attention to those? And if we talk about the emotional and cognitive fatigue, you know, that's a big one that again, people are ignoring. So like, you know, how much more capacity, how much more potential do we have if we could really focus on that, give it the importance that it deserves. Right. Um, yeah. Ex exciting <laughs> to say yeah. the least. Just want to take you back really to Daytona in 2020. You know, you've got the, the biggest first ever for a, for a triathlon there. Firstly, how does it feel to be a part of a race like that? Um, and then secondly, to, to play second in that. You know, that day is, is such a, a crazy event um, for so many reasons. You know, just being happy to be able to race after it, you know, being grateful after, you know, being having racing disappear for so long to uh, be in a position where uh, we were allowed to race and, um, you know, like going into, the, you know, throughout the pa pandemic, everybody had major stresses, major, you know, um, financial stress, job stress, being, you know, just having to adapt to new life situations, being home all the time and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to get a couple races in at the end of the season. Uh, and, you know, in this whole pandemic, we had moved out to Colorado, my wife got a new job. And so, you know, obviously the move was at a very tough time. We had a tough time selling our house back in Iowa. Um, and the coaching business, which was kind of my fallback, um, if, you know, I got injured or races, you know, to, to generate a little income, extra income. And so we were, we were in a, you know, went from being okay, uh, to being very, very financially tight. And I was able to have a couple decent races in December, uh, or in November and December, which, you know, was going to make it, you know, gave us a little bit of breathing room. And then, um, I, we closed on the house. Um, back in Iowa, the, the day before Daytona, the race. And so that was like, I went into that, like anything I got was just bonus. And so it was the least pressure I had ever put on myself um, going into a race. It was a very new format. And, um, you know, I, we didn't know how the race was going to, you know, suit out our sort out with it being a longer draft zone and, and, um, you know, the ITU guys not really being in triathlon bikes very often. So how are they going to be able to, uh, handle being an arrow and run off of that narrow? And, and, um, you know, I, I think going in, I'm like, you know, it'd be, you know, I think 14th place was $10,000. I'm like, that'd be a you know great way to end the season. Just, <laughs> you know, and, and so I had, you know, I had one person there that I knew, or, you know, a couple people there that I knew, but I had one person that was going to be on the, on the course and like, yeah, and it just get me, a, you know, when I get off the bike, just get me a split to 14th. And, 
Um, I didn't see him on the first lap. I got out. I had no idea what place I was in. I just knew I was really far back and, and, um, but I was running really well. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was a perfect format for my, that situation because I could always see the next person. And it was just like, I can catch him. I can catch him. I can catch him. And, and then it was just positive energy the entire way. There was never this like, no, you know, there's three corners in front, so I can't see what's going on up there. So, it, you know, you get into that mind game where you have to win that mental battle and you can't see who you're chasing sometimes. And I could always see that. And so it just made it easier to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And, um, you know, the, the last lap, I think I started it in 10th place or something. And, you know, it was a four loop run. And um, so, yeah, it was just cut it loose and have some fun and uh, see what happened. And, yeah, it was, it was a pretty special moment for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I can imagine crossing the line and just, uh, trying to process it. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I lost my, my head a little, I was just so excited. <laughs> you know, it was just, uh, yeah, I, I honestly hadn't looked that far up. I didn't know how much mm. I had made on the day until on the podium, they, they handed me a, a big cardboard check and I looked down at it. It was like 20 K more than I thought it was going to be. It was like, Oh, <laughs> someone grabbed a picture of my eyes and just like, you know, I, I try not to be financially motivated when I go into races, you make some dumb mistakes right, absolutely. and you're thinking, Oh, if I catch this person, it can be this much more. like, I want to be a yeah. competitive mindset, not a financially driven mindset. And um, so, you know, I, I knew up to 14th and, and beyond that, it was just like anything else is just gravy. And so, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was, it was a perfect storm, uh, for things in my favor, I think. And it allowed me to be able to dig pretty deep. Absolutely. Yeah. People often talk about not wanting to be financially motivated, particularly in sport. And how do you sort of manage that motivation element of things, trying to bring in the intrinsic element when you know, your livelihood is supported by your success. Yeah, that's tough. And I've struggled with it at times. Um, I went through, you know, 2016 was a rough season. Um, I was not racing well and, and I was focused, you know, my, my focus was on the wrong place. I wasn't focused on the process. I was focused on outcomes and outcomes alone. And, you know, obviously you have to have the outcomes, but you know, I really believe that if you're very much process oriented, the outcome will sort itself out. Um, so, you know, right now, you know, the reason I work so hard on the coaching side of things is so I can love every minute of the training and the racing process, whether it's, so you know, I, I have a great result or I don't, um, you know, I, I, I'm working very hard, uh, to set my, my coaching business up. So, um, you know, it's there when I need to rely on, on it a hundred percent for my income. Um, I'm not there yet and I hope I'm not there for a long time, but, uh, um, but it does take a lot of the, the, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of that financial burden off of races where, you know, yeah, there's times where you have to make a business decision and maybe, you know, not go completely to the well, uh, in a race, but that's all part of the process building into the final races. And, you know, I, I'm, I think, and I believe that I've got it, uh, dialed into the point where, um, I can use the the full uh, mental capabilities that i have in the next three races that i have coming up because they're they're big ones so we've got uh, the collins cup hopefully uh coming up i'll find out on monday for sure but i should be in on that and then 70.3 worlds and then uh, kona and then and i'm taking a week vacation <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. And uh, it sounds like the coaching business is going well. You said uh, sort of 130 athletes on the book. So yeah, we've got a number of coaches. Um, I'm definitely not coaching 130 athletes myself. I, I no, of course, yeah. You know, I, I definitely limit limit who or the number I'm taking on because you know my number one focus is um, is winning a world championship. And and uh, awesome when that stops being the focus, then then. You know, I've, I've got to start thinking about, you know, maybe it's time to focus 100% on coaching. Um, but right now, the, you know, the coaching that I'm doing is it allows me to, uh, to keep pushing um, and, and to keep, uh, keep the mindset of, you know, winning a championship and maybe not chasing smaller races that I might be able to, you know, get a, a, a win and get some bonus money at. But going to races specifically for reasons, you know, I went to St. George specifically because that's where 70.3 worlds is going to be. Um, so I raced there in May, you know, it's, it wasn't a, a race that, you know, I was going to be, you know, it was going to be the easiest way to make a little bit of money. No. Um, but it was the best situation, best business decision to set me up for future success. So I'm able to make those types of decisions a little bit easier. So it sounds like, uh, across the board, you're chasing these goals. But you also in the actual events themselves, um, you know, particularly with your sort of second third of the triathlon being the strongest elements, uh, you know, coming back in this uh, Daytona race from 30th after the swim, 22nd after the cycle, and then to finish second, sounds like you almost like that that feeling of chasing rather than than being chased. Would I mean, you, don't get me that? wrong. I'd, I'd love to be a better swimmer. <laughs> I'd have to chase. Uh, it would be a lot less stressful for my wife, for my sport. Yeah. But no, I mean, that's, you know, I, I have a adult onset swimming syndrome. Uh, I came to the sport pretty late and I'm, I'm yeah. chasing guys that have been in the pool for a long time and, and uh, who are just flat better than me. And so, uh, you know, the, the biking and the running is more engine driven sport and, not, and a little bit less technique. So I, I can get away with, uh, with being a little bit less uh, or a little bit younger in those sports comparatively and, and rely on the engine. Um, but, you know, yeah, definitely. I love the mindset of chasing, uh, when, when you're being chased, it's, it's hard. You, you know, when, when you're focusing on what's going up, up, uh, going on in the race in front of you, it's a lot easier to be like, okay, I can go there. But when you're in the lead and you've got, you know, a target on your back and you're focused on what's going on behind you, <laughs> you know, that's almost like a negative mindset. And so, um, even when, you know, when you get the lead, it's, you know, do you protect it or do you really just try to, you know, race like you normally would and continue to push on? And, um, you know, so yeah, those, those are always things that are running through your mind, but yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, when I'm picturing myself and doing the mental visualization and stuff like that in Kona or in St. George at the world championships, I'm very rarely leading, uh, at any point before the last mile. That's really interesting. You know, we worked with one of our really early stage beta athletes, Laura Klein, and she mentioned sort of similar elements. We added in two different sort of elements of to our brain endurance training system, one being this feeling of chasing, chasing a, a goal each each interval, but then also this feeling of being chased by a, a time pressure uh, sort of creeping up on you each time. So it's really interesting how people sort of have that different approach. And I think you, you seem to fall very much into that category of someone that likes to chase. So in those moments when you can't see the pack ahead of you and you're, you're just sort of chasing uh, and you can't see anyone ahead, how do you manage your, your motivation in those, those periods? Yeah, when, you, when you're 
chasing and you can't see it, it that's the I think that's the hardest part of of the race because you're already you know sugar depleted and we know your brain only only uses sugar so uh <laughs> you know staying on top of those mental uh, gremlins is is definitely the hardest in, in those situations but you know it hopefully you you know i've been able to get a few splits leading into those sections and and see that i'm cutting the time away and um you know it's just trusting that that uh um you know i'm doing enough and you know it's just focusing on the process not you know when you can't see it, it that's when the process becomes even more important when you can't see who you're chasing uh you know there's races where we, you know we the swim gets canceled and we have a time trial start then you have no idea where you're at and and so it's just an all out you know go as hard as you can and and uh you know if if i've learned anything from those it's you know focusing on the process you, you can't just you know you might be passing somebody that's already three minutes behind you or you might pass somebody that's three minutes ahead of you and you just don't know and so um it's just yeah always focus on the process and don't finish the race until the finish line <laughs> absolutely yeah that's really <clears throat> fascinating and always great to have those uh, process goals there too as well as your sort of outcome driven goals so for sure yeah, uh, you know i the conversation that i'm having with the athletes that i coach is you know during the race you know you can think about the outcome maybe the last 5k uh mm. you have to think about the process up until then uh because if you're th you know wanting to you know hit a certain time and you're riding into a headwind you know you you can just blow yourself up if if you're thinking about the outcome rather than thinking about the process. Um, so yeah, there's the process uh, is what gets you through until it's time to uh, race with the heart. Then, then you gotta figure out, uh, you know, what, what it is that motivates you, whether it's an outcome or whatever else. Absolutely, what yeah. other, what other mistakes or common misconceptions do um, age groupers have like you coach a lot of them and you probably see see common trends yeah the biggest the the hardest thing to kind of shake out of age groupers is thinking that like okay i went this time on this course and so if i didn't beat that time on another course then i'm worse and you know you're a bad bad coach because i'm worse and or i did this time last year and, you know, I went a little bit slower this year. So, you know, I, that means I'm a worse athlete or, you know, <laughs> where, you, you know, comparing one course to another is, you know, almost impossible. And, and it's just about as impossible comparing, you know, a course, uh, you know, one year to the next, you know, look at, you know, Ironman Texas in, in 2018, I think ten, uh, eight guys went under, um, under eight hours that, that year. And it was just a super fast day. We, I couldn't have scripted better conditions. And in 2019, this exact same course, but uh, only one guy went under and it was, you know, a bigger field, a stronger field. It was just, um, just the wind decided to kick up and we were fighting winds on crosswinds on the Hardy and it just makes for a slow day. And so, uh, you know, it's the, the outcome, you know, when time is the outcome, that's always a, a tough thing you know, to predict and, and, you know, you can always have time goals, but I always try to get the athletes to focus on process during the event. Got it. And what about with training? Any, any common mistakes you see there? Yeah. Very common to make your easy too hard. So your hard is too easy. 
Um, you know, especially people who are new to working with a coach will try to, uh, one, work too hard on the easier stuff. Um, and two, they try to beat every workout. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I had this conversation with an athlete this morning. They're like, well, it says this, if I can go more, do I go more? I'm like, no, we want it. You know, power is nothing without control. So we want to try to develop that control. And, you know, we want to try to execute the workouts. You know, you, you, you don't set a PR in, you know, by having one good training day, you set it by showing up day in, day out and executing and being consistent in the training. And if you, you know, try to kill it five days in a row, then all of a sudden you have to take three days off because you went too hard. That's not really the way to do that. And, you know, my job as a coach is earning their trust and then encouraging them to use that trust in the process. Got it. Nice. So as you've been telling these sort of stories, um, you know, you may very well be a phenom here, but uh, you know, your first, your first real race, you saw great results. Is there something in your background? Like we're really curious about the wrestling perhaps, did that help build maybe mental resilience or physical strength or like, was there something in your background you think that really helped you? Yeah. I mean, I think the wrestling definitely helped, um, in terms of work ethic, um, being taught early on how to set goals really helped, mm-hmm. um, growing up on a farm and, and, you know, working on my grandpa's farm and, and working at my uncle's shop and just learning what really hard work is, uh, definitely helped. Um, <laughs> but all those things can get in the way as well. Uh, you can be so focused and want something so bad, like in wrestling, you always have to be working harder and, you know, there's no, you know, it's, oh, it's very, you know, nose to the ground, always hard work. And that was something that can get you get in the way when you're training 40 hours a week where you have to, or 30 hours a week, um, or, you know, whatever it is, you have to, you know, dial it back and, you know, sometimes just kind of on your aerobic easier days, just going through the motions is, is okay. You don't have to be kind of always pushing. And, uh, you know, I went through a phase where, you know, the wrestling mentality got me in a little bit of trouble, you know, and that was right after I had quit my job and, and the training loads or quit my job as a professor and the training load started to go up. I still wanted to keep working at the same intensities that I was doing when I was training a lot less. And, uh, you know, so that I, I had a struggle with that, uh, um, transition because of that and, and had to learn and change that mindset a little bit. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, the work ethic blessing and a curse. If you know how it's a good weapon, if you know how to use it. (laughs) Yes. It's a, it's a tool that, that you have to know how to use correctly for sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, people, uh, hearing stories from professional athletes often wonder sort of what their workouts are like, do you guys, like, are, are you typically training every single day? Do you take yeah. rest days? Yeah. Very few. Very, Very few. few days completely off. You know, some pros do. Um, yeah. I'm just not one that responds well to that. I If I take a day off, it takes me another day and a half to just feel good again uh, you know, huh. afterwards. And so, uh, you know, typically Monday is my lighter day. Um, and that's that's always a swim, usually a longer swim. And then usually a easier bike or easier, you know, so I'll do a lot of like technique aero technique drills on Monday on the bike, for example, not a hard workout, but still accomplishing something. 
and getting the blood flowing. I'll sleep better because of that as well. Uh, Tuesdays are always, you know, we call them terrible Tuesdays, uh, <laughs> swim, bike, run tough day. Um, Wednesday is long, long ride and a swim usually, um, Thursday is double run Thursday. So I run in the morning, swim, and then run in the afternoon again. And then, uh, Friday, um, is typically, um, swim, bike, run, but all hour to hour 15, just to kind of open things up for the big workouts on uh, Sunday and, and, or Saturday and Sunday. So Saturday is long ride with the runoff. Usually tomorrow I have a, a hard swim, hard bike, hard run. So, uh, I, I'm not racing and I, and I really wanted to be, so, uh, coaches decided to beat me up a little bit and then I, I get to circle around with the, follow it up with the hard run on Sunday. So. Okay. Don't do this at home, kids. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and on those okay. sort of, on those sort of light days, how are you, and, and also in general, you know, you're training every day of the week. How are you building in recovery into that both cognitively and physically? How's that? How's that built in? Yeah, I mean, it. I have a good routine. Um, so I wake up, I, I grab a cup of coffee, and I sit in uh, the the Normatec boots and just kind of let my body wake up a little bit. Um, then I go on to the to the workouts. Try to get workouts in. You know, a lot of people will space them out during the day. I, I you know, it's Friday at noon here, and I've got three workouts in already. I've just got a strength <laughs> session done now. So I like to you know, get it done so I can eat and, and then relax. Like I don't like, you know, leaving a workout to start it late in the day. Cause it's just always kind of hanging over my head like a shoulder. So I like to get the workouts in mm -hmm. and then be able to just kind of chill, um, in the evening or the rest of the day. And, and, um, uh, you know, like you gotta have, uh, the outlets as well. Um, you know, take the dogs on a long walk every night with my wife and just kind of decompress awesome. and, uh, when I was in Iowa, we had the garden in the summer. Uh, I've definitely missed that out here. Um, we haven't, I haven't found a replacement for that yet. So still looking there. Um, but you know, the, just having that thing that's peaceful to you or relaxing to you, um, you know, for some it's reading, you know, I, I like playing with my, my pups and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's good time to have quality time with the wife as well. So that's, that's a sacred time for us. You know, we both kind of leave our phones in the in the house and go for an hour walk and just you know that's that's non-negotiable our time every night very that's nice awesome. yeah yeah absolutely that sounds brilliant <laughs> and then the dogs sleep better too so then we sleep better yeah, yeah. yeah that's important yeah. as well exactly their dogs are well behaved <laughs> we, we have the same routine but in the morning hour hour every day with the dogs it's i yeah. mean it just one it's just so um therapeutic to walk you know yeah. physically and you, emotionally you cannot and, finish yeah. a walk in a bad mood i think it's impossible yeah yeah uh, you know you, or in a worse <laughs> mood than you started right right okay so you mentioned sleep what kind of tips do you have knowing how important that is or the things that you do to help help ensure you have a good night's sleep this is my area of biggest improvement uh that i have uh, honestly um i i am uh I, I, you know, I've and have a lot of great traits that I've inherited from my parents. Uh, both work incredibly hard uh, and pass that on to me. 
Uh, my dad can uh, sleep anywhere, uh, most notably <laughs> when he's driving. Uh, my mom can't sleep at all. And, and I inherited that side of things from my mom. And uh, uh. so, you know, the insomnia is, is at times can, can definitely get in my way. And I, I've, I have to be really mindful about it. You know, never caffeine after two o'clock, uh, try to put the phone down uh, or, or screen down at least an hour before I go to bed. Um, you know, do something, you know, for 10 minutes uh, to just try to clear the mind a little bit because, you know, I, I have a lot of wheels and one hamster and he likes to try to run at night in, the, in my in the head. So trying to <laughs> quiet the hamster down is, is important. And, uh, you know, that's where I found doing some of the cognitive recovery stuff in your guys' app has been well-timed. Um, you know, it's kind of one of the first things I do after, um, after I start in the morning is the readiness assessment, but also kind of the, the mindfulness recovery stuff, uh, at the end, even, you know, it, I can just start it and not be looking at the screen. You know, I know I'm missing a few of the nice quotes and stuff, but, uh, you know, it just kind of gives you a, a six minute or five minute or six minute, uh, you know, intentional time to try to shut the brain off. Nice. So glad to hear that that's been helping. Um, and yet you could use it in so many different ways, you know, um, because it can be passive like that. You don't have to look at the screen even the breathing exercises are like, right. you know, haptic driven. So you could just feel the vibration when you bring, bring in inhale in and inhale out. Um, that's cool. Um, yeah. Sleep. Sleep is, uh, is uh, challenging for a lot of people. And especially if they have a high stress life, you know, those, those yep. are some great, great suggestions. Yeah. We want to do just a couple of, quick questions. Just the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, when, uh, when you hear it. So okay. what is, what does, uh, resilience mean to you? Uh, nose to the ground, um, you know, being able to push through, um, you know, when you, when you hear the word resilience, you think of a fighter and, and, uh, someone who's able to, to weather the storm and, and keep pushing through. Nice. Uh, what about dedication? Very similar. Um, mm -hmm. Very similar. Mm -hmm. Like, I think somebody who, it, that a dedication is somebody who um, is always trying to find the best out of themselves. Nice. Uh, at the end of the day, like when you when you finish all the work you needed to get done. You know what's what's most satisfying like what do you what do you feel a sense of satisfaction from or you know sort of how, what do you rank as important uh obviously right now it's you know did i execute my workouts well um that's important to me um and you know did i did i do the things outside of sport that i need to do to to be a better human as well um you know uh, i've again had times where i haven't done that as well as i should i think we all have but um you know, sport is, is a very, uh, short term thing in the grand scheme of things. And so you, you, you still need to be a good human outside of it as well. Absolutely. Um, so just give us another quick recap on what's in store here over the next few months. Uh, you have some yeah, races I've, coming up. Yeah. Big, uh, big push here. Um, I've got the Collins cup, hopefully at the end of August and then 70.3 worlds in, uh, September. 
And then uh, I've got Kona Ironman World Championships in October. Um, I don't know what I'll race after. Probably uh, go back to Daytona again. It's now Clash Daytona instead of Challenge Daytona in December. But I don't think I'll race between Kona and then. Um, so that's kind of the recap for the end of the year. Uh, it should, uh, yeah, some big, big races on the docket. Well, it'd be so great to get out too, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> and with the Collins Cup, tell us just a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's it's you know it's kind of modeled after the Riders Cup in golf, where the top six men and top six women in uh, the U.S., in Europe, and then they have an internationals team. So um, you know, there's 18 total men and 18 total women, um, and so like there'll be six matchups. So I'll, you know, I'll be matched up with one European and one international. And that's our race is just the three of us. And so the three of us go head to head. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, the next group will go. And, you know, so it's just kind of individual races of three people and, you know, all for, uh, all for bragging rights. Um, you know, it's going to be very much enclosed, uh, in Samarin, Slovakia. So it'll be a great made for TV event. And, um, you know, the PTO is doing a lot of good things to grow the sport and grow awareness and pitting the best people, uh, you know, the people who have uh, competed the best the last year um, against each other is, is, you know, creates the, the stories and the competition that we need to continue to grow the sport. And uh, so I'm really excited about it. Incredible. Yeah, we wish you all the success and Thank uh, you. have some great races. Thank you. Very yeah, much. absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Matt. So yeah, thank you very great. much. Thank you. Love talking to you and uh, really interesting and exciting story. Yeah. We'll have to do this again sometime soon, maybe after yeah. uh, after the season. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Hopefully we have some uh, fun stories to talk about in the next three races. Since recording, Matt has competed for Team USA at the Collins Cup. Unfortunately, Matt had to pull out the 70.3 World Championships due to an injury. We wish him the best of luck in recovery following his surgery and hope to see him back racing soon. We're so excited to announce that we have now launched Rewire. To find out more about how you can unlock your ultimate performance through our new human performance platform, visit rewirefitness.app where you can sign up for a 14-day free trial. Thank you.